0: What's the dumbest thing you've ever done? Probably the dumbest thing I've ever done was a choice I made when I was around 16 years old. Me and a group of friends were riding in the back of a truck, and as we turned onto this dirt road, the thought entered my mind I bet, with as slow as we're driving right now, that if I jumped off the back of this truck and I kept my feet moving, the moment I hit the ground, I could start running and run alongside of the truck. Without saying a word, while all of us are laughing and talking in the back of the truck, I stood up, put my hands on the side, and I hopped off. As I went flying through the air, I started running my feet like some cartoon character, fully expecting that in the moment when I hit the ground and started running, that I maybe could even pass the truck. So it was kind of a surprise when I hit the ground, and then I hit the ground again, and then I hit the ground again as I was tumbling and bouncing. Fortunately for me, as I was tumbling and bouncing, I bounced away from the truck instead of underneath the truck, which would have actually been possible. And all of that, that stupid idea, that dumb choice that everyone laughed about, that I physically got up a little sore and bruised over, all began with a thought. See, as we've been saying over the last few weeks, our lives move in the direction of our strongest thought. And what I discovered that day was not just our lives, but sometimes your body moves in the direction of your strongest thought. And if we're not careful, what we'll find is that our thoughts will either be controlled or it will control us. And what we have to recognize is that the problem with our thoughts is that most thoughts, if left to themselves, don't drift towards healthy or happy or helpful. They tend to drift towards the unhealthy, the self-loathing, the self-doubt, the insecurities, the, the judgmental, the comparison, the what-ifs. That if left to our own devices we'll eventually find ourselves in spaces we never wanted to go. So if we're going to be people who win the war in our minds, we have to recognize that we have to control our thoughts or we'll be controlled by them. And so how do we do that? How do we begin to take control of the thoughts that have oftentimes controlled us? Well, to answer that question, I want to look at at just a simple passage in a letter written to the church in Philippi almost 2,000 years ago by the church's founding pastor, kind of founding um, missionary who rolled into the area and, and in the process planted and established and started the first church in Europe at the time. He loves this church. Paul has an, a special affinity towards the church in Philippi. And and this shows up in the letter that he writes to them after he leaves. Now one of the things that's interesting to know about Philippi is Philippi was a unique city. It stood out in the Roman Empire and that its history, which I won't get into right now, um allowed it to be distinctly Roman. If you were to travel the countryside of the Eurasian area where it was located, you would find a lot of cultural influences in the different cities and villages that you went into in the first century. But if you walked into Philippi, it was like walking into Rome itself. Philippi was different because the people there thought differently. And it's on this backdrop that Paul infuses so much into his letter, understanding how unique they were and how unique they thought about themselves and their citizenship in the Roman Empire at the time. So it's not a surprise towards the end of the letter that Paul turns to the thought life, which he frequently does in many of his letters, and gives them these following words. He says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul is establishing a profound and insightful practice for them, one that can be easily missed if we just skim over it. Over the last few weeks in our household, we've had this ongoing issue. See, about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, um, my wife got a phone call. She picked up the phone call, and it was a health insurance company looking for Tammy. My wife said, I'm sorry, you have the wrong number. Tammy doesn't live here, and I'm not Tammy. And then a few minutes later, it was another phone call, but this time it was a different type of insurance. Again, looking for Tammy. My wife's like, I'm sorry, I'm not Tammy. And then there was another phone call, but this time it had had nothing to do with insurance. It now had something to do with glass repair. And then the next phone call was loan maintenance, and then the next thing was um, becoming a trucker, and then the next thing was... Botox, and it began a series of random phone calls that eventually exploded to my wife getting almost 200 phone calls and texts a day for the last three weeks. Every single day. In the first few days, her phone wasn't even making it to dinner time because just the sheer volume of phone calls and texts that were spam was killing her battery. Somewhere out in the internet world, some probably bot or some type of viral little program roaming the internet was using my wife's phone number to fill in internet forms along with the name Tammy Key. Which, by the way, pray that never happens to you because it's horrible. There's nothing you can do. And so I started looking into it to discover there was nothing we could do until I found an app. And this app, we downloaded it and overnight the app Instantly transformed her phone. All of a sudden, all the phone calls, all the texts weren't ringing. They were being diverted to the app. And every day for the last three weeks, she's like, "Hey, do you know how many I got today? I got 171. Hey, you know how many phone calls I got today? Today was a good day. It was 76." You know how many text messages I got today? I got 250, right? And so every night, she gives me the update, and then she goes through her phone and makes sure that all those numbers are blocked. And when we think about our thought life, it would be really easy to fall into the trap that there's probably some kind of app, there's some kind of switch that would fix our thoughts, that if we could just find it, read the right self-help book, or kind of engage with the right individual who'd give us the secret that maybe we could flip off our destructive thoughts maybe we could turn off our negativity maybe we could kind of turn down or disassemble or kind of shut off the comparison thoughts that flow through our head but the reality is is that Paul understood even before there was ever an app for anything that there is not an app for our thoughts There's not an app that fixes our thoughts by turning them off. Instead, what he gives them is a simple passage, but through that simple passage, the application of that passage can fix our thoughts. So here's what Paul understood that to fix your thoughts, you have to fix your thoughts. Right? Notice he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Then we fix our thoughts, when we focus our thoughts, instead of trying to silence our thoughts, when we substitute a new thought, instead of trying to silence the old thought, then we can begin to fix our thoughts. You can't argue with a thought in your head and just... Imagine that it's going to shut up or say, you know what, you're right, I'm going to stop saying that. Our mind is constantly churning and producing thoughts. You can't silence a thought. But what Paul understood in the wisdom of God is that you can substitute them, which is why he tells them to think about such things. The genius of Paul's wisdom was the things that are not noble, the things that are lies, Don't silence them. Substitute them. Think about what's true. Think about what's noble. Think about what's pure. Think about what's right, admirable, lovely. He directs these people who understood the power of thinking differently to living differently. He takes that reality and he pushes it onto their mind. And he says, you know what? It works with your brain too. Not silence, but substitute. That we fix our thoughts by fixing our thoughts on new things. Jonathan Acuff recently came out with a new book called Soundtracks. And in the course of his book, he he outlines three questions that I think is a really helpful way of summarizing what Paul is saying here. Three questions that whatever it is that you find yourself wrestling with, I asked you a few weeks ago, start to pay attention to the tension and to the thought life that you have. And identify one or two kind of constant soundtracks, constant vocal tracks that play through your head and that bring them into this series. And I want to give you three questions that comes from Jonathan Acuff to ask yourself as you're having these thoughts. The first question, as Paul says, is, is it true? Is the thought you're struggling with, is the thoughts that are running through your mind that eventually start to run your life, is it true? Now, I'm sure that sounds like a simple question, but the reality is for most of us, we don't interrogate our thoughts. We just assume they're right. We trust them. And because we trust them, we assume everything that it's said inside of our head is true. But if you remember from a few weeks ago, we can't trust every thought that goes through our mind. We have to be suspicious. And that a simple way of kind of externalizing that is would you be okay with someone saying these things to you or to one of your loved ones? And if you wouldn't be okay with them saying it to you or to your loved ones, why are you okay saying it to yourself? So yeah, maybe you did fail. Maybe you did mess up in that relationship, but it doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean that you can never have a healthy relationship. But what happens is, Some moment marks us, and out of that soil of that unhealthy moment, of that unwise choice, out of that kind of sinful tendency, out of that soil grows a narrative. A narrative that, without us even realizing, we water and we nurture. So eventually that narrative that we've nurtured in our head becomes the way we live our life. We are no longer people who are willing to commit because we just are afraid everything's going to fail because who's going to stay with me? We nurture these narratives without ever questioning, is it true, really true about you? And then the second question is, is it helpful? And this is, I think, a really helpful question, no pun intended, because for many of us, we never think about how our thoughts should be moving us towards the life that we want. We're passive in it. But remember, our thoughts move us. The strongest thoughts affect the direction of our life. Our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And so when we ask the question, is this a helpful thought? Is me constantly comparing myself to other mothers? It, am I my constant comparison on social media? Is this actually helpful? Is this moving me towards a better life? Is this moving me towards being a better parent or engaging in making choices that I want to make? Or do I sit and I sulk and I feel worse about myself? Is it helpful? Is it moving me towards the life I actually want and I believe the life that God wants for me to live is it helpful and then the third question which is a little strange but it'll make sense is is it kind I think for many of us if we ever had um, some type of plug inserted in our mind or could bluetooth stream to a speaker what most of us would find is that we are unkind to ourselves some of the harshest words we have, we reserve for ourselves. I mean, like no joke, I was this week walking around, processing, working on this message. And one of the things that I do when I want to take a mental break is I'll walk around the office part where the church is physically located. And as I'm walking through and I'm processing the different thoughts and the structure of the outline and the message, um, I remember saying something in my head and it was like, man, Chris, that's so dumb. And and then I was like, well, well, no, well, hold up, Chris. You're like writing a message about how to reframe and rethink and reprocess and like fixing your thoughts by fixing your thoughts. And you just just called yourself dumb. This is the exact opposite of what you told and what you want to tell people to do. Like you're such a moron. And I'm like, gosh, Chris, you're a moron for saying you're a moron because you're trying to tell people how to think and you can't even think yourself, you loser. <laughs> like... Now, all of those things are really embarrassing, and I said them to myself. I would never let someone say that to my daughter or my wife or my son. I would never let someone walk up to the street and say that to me. And yet I was saying it to myself as I'm walking along processing. Like, oh, that's such a dumb thought, moron. (laughs) And that's why I said, is it kind? Is it actually... Generous to you? Or do you hold yourself to a standard that doesn't allow you to move forward because it paralyzes you? And the pain of feeling like you're not enough? Are you your harshest critic? Here's a good test for the thought that maybe runs through your mind. If you told your friend, if you called them up every single day for the next week to tell them the thought you've been thinking about you, but instead you're telling them the thought you have about them. It's, now, it's, not, it's not a thought about you anymore. It's a thought you're going to project on them. If you called your friend every single day for a week and said those thoughts to them about them, would you still have a friend at the end of the week? And if not, it's probably not very kind. But by asking the question of the thoughts that run through our mind, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it kind? We uh, apply a filter that helps us to begin to fix our thoughts. And by taking Paul's admonition, not just recognizing, but replacing with true, with helpful, with kind thoughts, then we can start to fix our thoughts on better things. You see, these questions are meant just to be a filter to allow you to decide what gets to go through. And maybe for some of us, maybe this filter doesn't really allow a lot to come through at all. And and for that, maybe you need to begin to fix your thoughts on some new thoughts, ones that aren't necessarily present in your mind yet. And to do so, we want to help you win that war by a new resource that we've been working on. It's a resource that is inside of the app right now. It's a resource that has three different resources that the church, that Christians for the last 2,000 years have used to fix their thoughts by fixing their thoughts on these three things. Inside the app, um, you'll see this icon called Thought Life. And this week in the email, we'll send you uh, a link to a page that has access to all five of these topics that we've picked to begin this resource called Thought Life if you don't have access to the app. If you've never downloaded the app, this is a perfect time, EncounterChurch.com forward slash app. And what you'll find inside if you click on this icon is it'll take you to a page that has three different tools the church has used throughout church history to foster and to fix its thoughts. The first is what's called biblical meditation. You'll notice, for example, this is the site for our anxiety topic and the first thing on this page around anxiety is a passage from 1st Peter 5 7 that says cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you throughout um, church history there has been a discipline called biblical meditation meditation is a popular word right now it's synonymous with mindfulness that also is really popular The difference you have to understand around biblical meditation is that biblical meditation has been around for thousands of years. You can find the word um, in the writings of David in the book of Psalms. The idea of biblical meditation is different than what is typically seen as, uh, meditations used today, it's usually the Eastern version, and the Eastern version of meditation is marked by emptying your mind, breathing exercises and clearing your brain, which doesn't work. Because if you're telling yourself to have thoughts about nothing, you're still having a thought about you thinking about nothing. And the genius of biblical meditation is it's not an intentional emptying of your mind. It's an intentional feeling, filling of your mind. And in the filling of your mind, it changes how you feel. This filling is with biblical truth. So what biblical meditation would look like in this moment around anxiety is when you start to feel anxious, you start to feel worried. Maybe like me, sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night and things and thoughts are rushing rushing through your head. Um, I will pull this truth up and say, God, thank you for the invitation to cast all my anxiety on you because you care for me. God, thank you that you care about my cares. I give them to you. And sometimes, even at 2 in the morning when my brain is rushing and running through so many things I'm anxious about. I'll physically lift my arms up into the air as if I'm lifting up my anxiety to Him. And in that moment, I say, God, thank You that You care. Here are my cares. I trust You to hold them until I awake in the morning. God, thank You that You care about what I care about, but that Your arms are not held down by the things that hold me down. And just by kind of intentionally filling my mind with that and going over this verse in my head, that biblical meditation, what I find often is it starts to fix my thoughts by fixing my thoughts on biblical truth. Another feature inside of the guided prayer, uh, inside of the thought life is guided prayer. Prayer has been one of those other tools the church has used to fix their thoughts by fixing their thoughts. And the guided prayer is a three to five minute prayer um, embedded inside the page for these five different areas. And it takes the passage that is the biblical meditation passage, and I lead you through a prayer around that passage to help fix your thoughts on that passage. And it's designed to be kind of something to to exhale and to inhale and to kind of un- Unwind and unspool our mind and to fix our thoughts on something new. And then the final thing inside of the Thought Life page is a song tied to whatever that particular topic is. You see, the, in the Judeo Christian historical development of thought, songs have been powerful tools to shape our thinking. In fact, The book of Psalms is a book of songs. That's where the word psalm comes from. It's song in the Hebrew language. It's this idea of I'm going to intentionally, with my words, sing words to replace the inner kind of dialogue that I'm having right now. And so I'm really excited for this Thought Life tool because I think if your struggle is in one of these five areas or some of the additional areas that we're going to be adding over the next month, that you'll have a resource that you can come to regularly right inside of the app that will help you re-engage your mind, begin to fix your thoughts by fixing your thoughts on some new things, things that are true, helpful, and kind, things that are true ultimately about you because Jesus demonstrated that through the cross, through his resurrection, that this is his word, this is his truth, this is his power. To transform us from the inside out and that by fixing our thoughts on these things we can begin to win the war in our mind and over time begin to see the world through his eyes through his truth and ultimately to begin to treat and to experience what Jesus called and invited us to and following him that transformed grace-filled life that affects every portion of of our life, including our thought life, and in the process, ultimately allowing us to begin to win the war in our minds.